back here with another interview, and this time I am talking to a brilliant marketer, Al Wolf. Uh, she's a VP of marketing at Envision, and I had a chance to work with Al briefly at a startup called Nudge.ai, and she's a phenomenal marketer, very strategic, uh, but can go all the way down to the smallest tactical pieces, uh, and I've, I haven't seen a lot of leaders that are able to do that. She was also head in marketing previously at Path Factory, she lives in Boston, super involved into the marketing community, uh, does post quite a bit on, on LinkedIn, runs her own podcast. Um, so I think you will really like the conversation. Here's Elle. It's, it's good, it's good to catch up. Yeah, you too. Okay, um, I'm here with Elle Wolf, the VP of Marketing at Envision. Elle, thank you so much for doing it. Oh, it's my pleasure. And great to see you too. It's nice to see you too. Last time ah. I saw you was under very di different circumstances. I know, we still were living the dream. <laughs> of course, back when people left their homes and you know, wore pants all the time. <laughs> exactly. Back when there was a little bit more to than just Zoom meetings to life. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So you are at Envision right now. How do you find it so far, managing a large team? Uh, I mean, it's really different for me. Um, it's it's actually the biggest company I've ever been at it's from a people perspective and from a ARR perspective. Um, so, you know, I think Eloqua was probably the next largest company I'd ever been at. So my background is more, you know, early stage startups. Um, and I actually think that having the orientation to early stage startups has actually helped me at Envision because I'm very sort of like scrappy and I think very, uh, I think about getting things done really quickly. And so, um, and we're a, a business that on the marketing side is in some amount of transition right now. And so that agility mm -hmm. and mindset has helped a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been really fun to, I was in MarTech for 10 or 12 years. I was at really early stage companies. So it's been fun to do something totally different, different industry, different size and space and pace. And, um, you know, we actually are a business that gets a lot of revenue from our existing customer base. So big kind of upsell um, and renewal based business, which I've never really done before. So it's been fun to, to try something new. And, you, and we worked with Nutch with you for a little bit, which was, which was really cool. You were at Path Factory. How do you, when you are super scrappy, when you're doing some things yourself, how do you, when you're jumping into the large team, a lot of people are, have different mindsets, some come from B2C, how do you get them on board with how things we should be doing, executing quicker, getting a little bit more autonomous, and also just doing it over Zoom only? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I think like orienting to very specific goals is helpful. If you don't have any real true north, it's hard to sell people on an idea. But if you can say, look, this is what the business is trying to do. And this is how marketing needs to align to, to that goal. Um, that can be a really good motivating factor. I think, you know, Envision was in this process of trying to really iron that out um, and, and make sure people were really clear on what they were aligning to. Um, so that's part of it. I also think like, I think a big part of your job as a marketer is internal marketing. Um, it's evangelizing, you know, what you're trying to get done and why. And and from the point of view of, you know, here's what's in it for you. Um, you know, I've always, as a kind of a revenue focused marketer, believed that like the sales team is my my number one customer. I'm there to support them. I'm there to drive predictable pipe for them and and to help them do their jobs. Um, and so that's a pretty easy sell to a sales team, particularly one that right. you know maybe wasn't getting as much of that in the past. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I came into an organization, I had a really big team, it was like 35 people. Um, and again, the team was kind of tooled for what the company had been, not what the company is today. And so it was a lot of sort of 
restructuring and figuring out what people loved and what people are great at and then giving them the opportunity to do those jobs. If you can frame it that way, that I'm here to actually put you in the right role um, so that you can be really successful, it's a pretty easy sell. But it takes a lot of work to, to I mean, it took me a long time just to figure out like, okay, what, what do you do? And what are, what do you want to do? And how is that supposed to right. fit this whole equation? And the thing I've learned is, you know, um, and someone wise said, like, think about it from a first principles perspective. Like what is the organization you need for the business you're running today and try to build that. Um, it's hard when you are dealing with sort of legacy things or old frameworks. Um, so you got to try to like set that aside as much as possible and try to really architect what you want for moving forward. I still remember our first conversation. Uh, I think I reached out to you on LinkedIn. That was this was before Nudge, and um, I asked you uh, like, what makes a really great marketer really great? And you you told me that oh, you have to be really it ha all has to tie into business results. It's like super super focused on business. I'm curious, like for marketers who are in a creative roles, like really creative roles, what do they need to do? Who do they need to hang out with to be better? Have this better sense of oh, this actually ties into revenue in this way. Just have that mindset. Yeah, I've, I've always said this. I mean, I think that sometimes, um, I, I, I talked about this a lot at Path Factory, that sometimes when you are like, you know, a creative director, or designer, you can feel somewhat removed or divorced from the goals. You're like, well, how do I really impact that? But again, like it really should all cascade from what the business is trying to accomplish. So I think that, you know, the best businesses are very, very clear in what they're trying to get done and how they're trying to do it. And that it all should then cascade down. Um, so, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I, I think communication and transparency count for an awful lot. Um, and that, that is, like I just said, this kind of internal marketing. It's like repetition of constantly like, here's what we're trying to get done. I mean, my team right now, I think anyone on my team could tell you exactly what our opportunity target is. Um, you know, they have a really, really clear idea of the things we're doing to try to hit that number. Um, and if you do that and you evangelize that and you keep going back to it, I mean, I start all of my growth marketing team meetings now with like, here's how we're pacing against the goal. Here's the projects that we're working on that are supporting this goal. Here's where the gaps, here's where, where we're seeing shortfalls. What are the things we could do to course correct? So that even somebody who maybe doesn't feel like, well, I'm not coming up with a campaign or a program. I'm not like actually doing those things. They still know what we're trying to accomplish. And it's much easier to say when that, you know, that project lands on their lap, oh, this is the thing they said they were doing to, to try to hit this goal. I see how I'm tied to that. So I mean, I think it really does all come from, in in one way or another, from from goal setting, from being right. really, really clear and deliberate about that. I think people can accomplish incredible things when, um, you know, you you set the goalpost and you're very clear about where you, what you're trying to get done. And you also give them freedom and autonomy to, like, do their jobs the way they want to do it while knowing that's where we're trying to get to. So that's always been sort of how I approach it. That's a great approach. I, that's a really very, very thorough. Um, I, was well, speaking I think, I think you, you hear this term, people say like random acts of marketing. And I think people suffer from that for sometimes because it's yeah, not entirely yeah. clear what marketing is trying to do. I mean, again, for me, my orientation has always been to revenue and knowing, okay, marketing is going to drive. This is our contribution. This is what we need to get to. That makes it crystal clear. Like there's no room mm -hmm. for squishiness. No, I think the hard thing is oftentimes companies and brands and marketers are trying to do multiple things and serve multiple masters. Um, but there's always got to be one metric that rules them all. And for me, it's pipeline. So. 
What do you think about this, um, this thing about like MQLs and companies so focused on MQLs? And I mean, obviously we've all been there and it's a sad part. We actually have to re-engineer those hoops, uh, lead forms, and then we're actually not allowing people to consume content that we created and we put so much effort in and then we're not getting enough inbound leads as a result. And we, the leads we got because of the form, they're not closing as well as they could. And I'm just super curious, like what, like what could we do in this very yeah, typical yeah. <laughs> dilemma? It's a vicious cycle. I mean, I think that first of all, you know, forms are a necessary evil. You need ways for people to identify themselves. Um, and I think that, you know, putting something really great behind a form, you can get people to fill out a form. Um, I think there's lots of bad behavior around use of forms and um, egregious, you know, amount of data and fields we're trying to collect. There's a lot of things you can do to re reduce the friction for a buyer to make them more likely to fill out a form. So that's one small rant. Um, I do think like the folk, look, MQLs are a leading indicator. I, I mean, you you typically have to have an MQL stage somewhere in your funnel to know that you're going to hit your your revenue target, right? I mean, that should be. But at the end of the day, I don't care about MQLs. And in fact, if I could drive way fewer MQLs and more ops and just have really great conversion, I'm okay with that. Um, I think you know, that's a fairly mature perspective and not all companies are good at connecting those dots and knowing how it kind of goes through the full funnel. Um, but that is really where you need to get, that's where you need to get to. Um, <clears throat> I think that, look, we have a, lots of channels available to us today that don't require forms necessarily. Um, my team is seeing unbelievable um, results from chat, right? We use Drift and you're seeing the results that, that, that drift drives for us now we're looking at all kinds of new creative ways where, where we can implement it different ways we can use it so um you know i think you have to you have to be a little bit more creative um you know i don't think at the end of the day you're not getting rid of forms i mean like i said there's i see i see so much bad behavior around like you know companies that serve me a form even though they just sent me an email i'm like well but you know who i am why am i why are you giving this form um so i mean and there's a million ways to solve for those problems and great ops people know what those ways are um so I think, you know, I think sometimes marketers get in their own way when it comes to this stuff. Um, I think there's also like a level of bravery that people need mm -hmm. to have. I mean, I think that until you give people an experience with your content, an experience with your brand, it's hard for them to know why they should fill out a form, right? So exactly. yeah. you have to be a little bit brave about what you're willing to give away in order to potentially get the benefit of that down the road. Um, and, you know, I, I think we, when I was at Path Factory, I mean, that's a thing we did a lot. We gave a lot of content away because our feeling was, you're going to want more of this if you see it. And then we can mm -hmm. entice you to, to fill out that form or convert down the road. Um, so I think it, it really is, it's mostly about having a very, very holistic view of the customer journey and the things you're going to do to engage and convert them along the way um, and not be overly reliant on a mm -hmm. single channel. It's my feeling. Right. What do you think about um, like pure brand awareness content play where you're not really doing anything like per buyer journey versus uh, the typical old school, oh, we got to go do like awareness or consideration or whatever other framework the company does? I mean, I think that at the end of the day, um, there's a place for that. And it's important. I actually think that's how Envision built the brand that it has today, which was just, you know, um, going really all in on, on brand and category and community. Um, and I think that that helped them drive a ton of awareness um, in the market. So that, you know, definitely plays a role. But at the end of the day, like, 
buyers have jobs to do, right? Like if I'm going to buy something or I'm going to consider buying something, like I have to check a bunch of boxes. I have to know, you know, who else uses it and do they like it? And does it get good reviews and does it integrate Mm -hmm. with these things? And, you know, I need to understand features and functions and all of those things. So there's a place for every type of content in the journey. I think pure brand sort of a pure brand play it sits up there in the same place where sort of strategic marketing communication sits. It's important from an awareness perspective, from a, um, a category building perspective, like all of those things matter. I think that the mm. challenge that some companies have is just like the weighting of some of these things um, right. in, the sh- in the shift, like at some point when you reach a critical mass of, you know, prospects and qualified buyers, you really have to make sure you're servicing those people in the jobs that they're trying to get done. So I think it's, again, it's about having a holistic sort of strategy and thinking about the full experience, the full funnel, the full, and, you know, the the various different types of buyers you're trying to influence. Um, what a buying committee looks like. Do you have, you know, do you have all the answers? I mean, it's really, it's all about anticipating kind of buyer needs as they go through this process and just making sure you're matching it up with what you're delivering. I make it sound really easy. It's not that easy, but. <laughs> yes, yes. I know I'm sure if marketers listening to this, they will know that it's like, it's, it's not that. <laughs> but I mean, you can get there. There is a roadmap in this case. There is. And I think like, you know, I think sometimes we just hope like it'll happen by some happy accident, like, oh, we'll just put enough content out there into the universe and somehow we'll attract enough buyers and somehow they'll all convert. I do think you have to be more thoughtful than that. You really do have to think about the stages that they go through and the, th- the questions they're trying to answer um, and the problems they're trying to solve for and who they need to sell it to internally and the business case they need to build and all those things. Um, and if you, if you map that all out, um, you can you can satisfy all of those requirements. It doesn't happen overnight, but um, if you have a plan, it's much easier to to make sure that you're delivering the type of experience that your buyer expects. Yeah. How do you make the content that is not self-serving? That so often happens where like we have a great title, it might be even ungated, but then the content somewhere there's a bit of a hidden agenda in there. Uh, and, and there's, a- there's always a hidden hidden agenda. <laughs> Um, well, it goes back to your question before. I mean, like, I do think that it's possible to have purely sort of brand and awareness focused content that doesn't have a hidden agenda. I mean, the agenda could just be like, educate, you know, this community and help them do their jobs better. And I I, I truly believe in that stuff. And I think a lot of companies do that and they invest in those things. Again, I think it's about finding the balance because there certainly is a class of content as you move down the funnel that is trying to influence buyer toward a particular point of view or orientation or whatever. And that's the job of marketing, to be honest. Um, I think that there are ways to do that that feel much more authentic and don't, Hmm. uh, you know, aren't like some big bait and switch. And I think it's possible to balance like something that is truly valuable to your buyer in terms of helping them learn something and be educated and also positioning your point of view. Um, you know, when I was at Path Factory, I mean, we had a very deliberate point of view around how people consume content and, um, you know, how to deliver that kind of experience in a meaningful way. And I think we did a really good job of, of creating content that like kind of changed people's perspective and made, made them think about it a little bit differently, which was the end mm-hmm. goal. Um, and right. I think that, that, I think that's doing both. I think like, oh, hey, we got you to come around to our point of view but we opened your eyes to something you probably hadn't thought about before. And that's, that's the, that's what great marketing can do. Totally. I was speaking to, to one of my colleagues just literally today and she said, I hate the word unprecedented. 
and <laughs> I mean for a good reason. What do you think? Like, what do you see in some of the some of the companies or some of the uh, ways that companies didn't use COVID nineteen in the right way? Oh God! I mean, I could you could write a book. I mean, we you know it <laughs> got, it just got silly after a while, and like I get it. It's this zeitgeist moment that everybody's trying to jump on, and and we did too. I mean, Envision was in a really interesting position because number one, we have always been a fully remote company, right? We have over seven hundred employees worldwide. Yeah. We've never had a single office, and so I mean, we were kind of prepared for this moment, and we also had a point mm. of view about how to do this. Um, I think we also, you know, our, our core to our value proposition is helping product teams collaborate and even remotely. Um, and so, yeah, but there's a nuanced way to do that. Um, again, where it's helpful and educational and, and not, you know, icky. Um, I think there was a bit of icky marketing happening yes. um, and it's bound to happen. I mean, actually, um, it reminds me a bit of, um, I don't know if you follow Katie Martell, but Katie has this oh, yeah. whole platform on like pandering and basically jumping on the bandwagon whether it's you know mm. um like uh, women's issues like jumping on the like it's women's day and everybody has a campaign right. and like covid was kind of like that it was just like we've got something to say about this it's like well do you really um instead of saying like we're gonna actually put uh, we're gonna put some resources behind this we're gonna help to support people in a meaningful way we're gonna you know connect you to someone that you might not know yeah. who can be helpful to you in this time um i think that if there is authenticity behind it and, and it actually you you actually mean it you're trying to deliver value to your customers then it's okay um if you're just like out there being like hey you know, I mean, you, you particularly see this, I think, because so many things were shifting to virtual. So it was like, everything was like, let us teach you how to do virtual events. Let's see. Right. So it's like, let us teach yeah. you how to have better webinars, better Zoom meetings. And it's like, oh, um, and it, somewhere in there, there was good stuff. Right. But there was a lot of bad stuff, too. Yeah. Like it always happens. <laughs> Gary Vee talks about, and it's interesting, like he talks a lot, he preaches this content, like you have to build like a media company uh, and you have to build this like scale, pro, uh, content production at scale where, you know, like you, you produce a lot of high quality content uh, very quickly every single day. Um, how do you do that at, uh, at a smaller company, like let's say it's a startup, and then how do you do that at a large company? Because I find from, from what I've seen is that it requires this very different mindset where, oh, we're not going to be producing like one white paper in a month. We're actually going to create every pub, like a post um, every day or like three posts a day. And then maybe we'll add like a video and other pieces of content. And there's a specific narrative that you're telling. Like, I'm just curious. What's been your? Well, I mean, process. we dealt with this at Path Factory. We were a small team, and I think we were prolific in terms of the content we produced. I think it all came down to good planning. I mean, we had a good plan, and we knew what we were going to get done, and we sort of mapped it out. Um, and we did try really hard to blend those shorter, transactional, quick win type of things. So that steady drumbeat of producing content for our blog, and you know, delivering that kind of stuff with longer form things, scripted videos. I mean, I do think you all. Also, like there is a time and a place for um, bringing in third-party help using contractors. Um, there were certainly there were things that we wanted to do that were like a little above our pay grade in terms of what we were capable of internally. I think also though people just suffer from inertia. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I remember at a certain point where we were like, we want to create more video, like on an ongoing basis, just more quick videos. Like, how can we do that? And it was like, we were all sort of like, I don't know. And then we bought a camera and got a green screen and we stopped being so like 
picky about it. It was just like, let's just make some stuff and see what happens. And so I think when you get into that mindset, it becomes easier to sort of become a machine. But I mean, I think a lot of times companies, they, they, they want to do that and then they don't resource it pr properly. They don't think about it in a really holistic way. I mean, you know, one of my favorite activities at every company is doing a quarterly business review. I love to take a look in the rear view mirror, see how things work, see what happened. Yeah. And use that to kind of course correct and, and refine our strategy moving forward. What do you think about uh, video content? There's so much more video content being produced, especially on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is such a gold mine for like organic traffic. Do you like what success have you found with video and not just like typical webinars or video interviews, but like short form snippets type of content? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think look, I think that people are really busy. Um, I think that it's harder and harder to get people to read things. I think that we are flooded with, you know, whether it's email content or longer form content. And so, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not a place for that, but satis that video satisfies that sort of like need for instant gratification that people have. Like, I mean, I know what, as far as I'm concerned, I'm much more likely to watch a video than open up a PDF and scroll through it because it's harder to get at that thing you're looking for. Whereas in video, I can fast forward and I can be like, okay, I don't care about this part. Can I get to the end? So um, I think it's successful in that way. Um, and I think that, um, again, like this is where you see companies, some companies doing really interesting, creative things in kind of a scrappy way. Um, I love the stuff that like the team at Wistia has done and they've got this whole platform around brand affinity marketing, which I think is really brilliant because I think it does really personalize and humanize your marketing mm -hmm. um, when you can do stuff like that. Um, I have this unbelievable luxury of working at a company that because we are, because we sell to designers, because we are so design centric, um, we have amazing video resources. We've created three actual films, like feature length films. And that is content that we really leverage pretty extensively, even for pipe gen um, programs and running right. screenings for key accounts and things like that. Um, and it's so funny because, um, I, for a while when I was at Path Factory, we, a few of us had this idea, like, let's make a movie. Like we wanted to make a movie. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up at the company that makes movies, which is so, which is hysterical. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, um, look, again, I think video is one of those things that can feel hard to people. Cause it's like, oh, you got people who know how to it's do scary. video. Yeah. It's a little scary. And like, you know, I see like my old team at Path Factory, the um, head of product marketing, who's not a video guy, is constantly shooting little videos of himself, talking about products, showing, you know, little demos and things like that. Um, and that's a great, I mean, they they use that to launch their products and it's really engaging and you can really quickly get to the heart of the matter and figure out what's interesting about that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you will see over time video t taking an uh, inordinate share of the sort of media plan for people because I just think like it reflect I mean, in the same way that you know a platform like Drift really um, addresses what people don't like about forms and what they what they need in terms of like urgency and just sort of you know deal like talking to someone in the moment video kind of does the same thing for buyer education right. like it's a quicker path up the hill to get somebody educated if you can just like, you know, explain it or show it or whatever, then here can yeah. you read this 40 page document. Anything we can learn as B2B marketers from TikTok? Because <laughs> 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 those, those guys are so good. I mean, for, for B2C. <laughs> Oh yeah, 
totally. I mean, probably. Like, again, like, I think, look, it's all a form of storytelling, and TikTok gives you, like, a fun way to do that that's really accessible, that um, allows, like, the complete novice to, you know, put something out into the world and turn everybody into a content creator. So, I mean, I think that is the, I mean, I remember I was at Eloqua when I think B2B content marketing really was becoming a thing unto itself. And at the time, like, the advice people always gave was, like, you need to think like a publisher. You need to, you know, think like a publisher. Again, become a prolific sort of content creator, um, which at that, back then, that was really hard for people. It was just not the way we were oriented. Um, this was like so 2000, I, 2006, right? Yeah, like around 2006, probably. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I think we've, we have so many more tools today um, to satisfy that, that need to be constantly creating content. So, I mean, I'll, I, I remember again, like, people thinking Instagram wasn't going to be a channel for B2B and it absolutely is right. Like all of these things have their moment once you figure out how to incorporate it into what you're doing. Who do you think right now doing a really good job in the content marketing space could be a company. It could be a person. You mentioned Vistia, anybody that catches your attention that does something super cool. Um, I mean, so many of the brands that I love are, are B2C brands. I hate to say it's a B2B (laughs) market, like the terrible thing to say, because they tend to get it. You you can, you can, you can name B2C. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, like like I do I I I do really like what Wistia is doing because I think they've made it really fun and they've really attached their 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 what they're doing to their point of view and it comes through very clearly. But they also like they're they've been doing during COVID like these Instagram takeovers, like an employee will take over their stories. Um, so they do some really cool stuff like that that I think is mm-hmm. is pretty neat. Um, oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like even I'm so impressed with like some of the really like small, like uh, there's so many makers out there, people who make things. Mm -hmm. Like I have a friend right now who's making beautifully dyed garments, like shirts and, and she really uses social media and video and things like that to like sell her, her really cool, you know, vision. And uh, I just like, I, I, I don't think it's about always like high production value or like scripted things or whatever it's mm-hmm. about like sharing like a feeling or a moment or or whatever it is um you know i am very subaru loyal i've owned many many subarus and i've always like really liked how subaru kind of positions themselves in the market and the kind of content that they create to create loyalty um so i mean i think again like the best brands like they just like they know what their customers care about and they use they they use storytelling to get at the heart of that um, and I think that that's uh, a, a really special skill. But again, it all comes back to very effective storytelling, right? Uh, what do you think um, <clears throat> from the content um, content formats perspective, what do you think would be a must for companies later this year, maybe next year, anything that they absolutely must have outside of the traditional Salesforce style playbook from 2000s? You, are you talking about in terms of content mediums? In terms of, in terms of content mediums, yeah. yeah. Content mediums, let's say it's like, oh, you should do like this short form videos or you should be doing, um, you should be doing like this chatbot conversations on Messenger or on, on Drift. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, I, again, like I do think you, we need to um, always be sort of getting ahead of the fact that like your buyer is busy, your buyer ha- has something they're trying to get done. And if you orient yourself to like removing friction from all those processes, like how do I make it easy? How do I get out of their way? How do I give them access to the thing they need right now? I think that is really the, the, the moment that we're living in. Um, beyond that, I think things like this, I actually think like 
you know, whether it's branded like podcasts or, or little video Mm. chat shows or whatever it is. Like, I think that content, you're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I think you see lots of companies doing great things with podcasting. I think there's, you know, podcasts are really accessible. I think because people can, a lot of, a lot of, not me, but a lot of people can sit and do their work and also listen to a podcast. You're like, oh, I'm getting two things done at once, which is great. Um, But I do think like, you're going to see more of these like, kind of little, yeah, like little talk shows, fireside chats, like using video. I mean, again, we can do this. Like Zoom makes this really easy to like feel like you're sitting there talking to somebody. Um, And so I just, and and I think it adds a level of authenticity to your marketing and and humanizes it. Um, People like to see a face and they like to hear from an individual. So over the years, what, what were the things that you became better at saying no to? Something that you could maybe narrow down by impact because I know there's like a million, million things. Well, this is just it. I mean, I think that like all companies fall into the trap where you're doing things that are high um, lift, low reward. And sometimes it's just like legacy issues. It's just like, oh, we've always done that. And at some point you have to go, well, we can't do that anymore. I think this becomes really easy in situations where you're bandwidth constrained um, because you have to make trade-offs. And again, I am a big fan of you know, having a very specific goal or set of goals that we're trying to get to. And if you do that, it's very easy to sort of carve off the things that are not going to get you there and say no in a strategic way, or, you know, say yes, and maybe next quarter we'll get to that. Um, So I think it's about ruthless prioritization, to be honest with you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I hate to be the person who's always saying no, like, I don't want to be that person. But I also think like, every single thing you say yes to is potentially detracting from the thing you're trying to get done. So you have to be be honest about that stuff. I think, you know, I remember, I will say like earlier in my career, I feel like I don't, I don't think I knew how to, how to manage the the nose quite as well. And it's hard. It's hard. Oh, it's super hard. Well, I mean, you want to be helpful and you want to support people and you don't want to be the person who's saying no all the time. So, um, and but like you also don't want to be the person who's saying yes all the time so it's a delicate balance um and i think that again like i i I have had to in my current role sort of figure out like what's the most important thing what what are what is the broad spectrum of things that are happening today that actually aren't getting us where we need to go and can we start to filter some of those things out um and that's that's hard because like someone will always it will always be an unpopular decision to somebody and you have to just get over that part Totally. Yeah, no, it's, you, there's always naysayers anywhere, everywhere. Everywhere, for sure. <laughs> Do you have a favorite failure? Of, of mine, my own failure? Um, could be, I mean, related to business, related to marketing. Um, oh gosh, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> a favorite failure? <laughs> no, it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird way to frame that, but... <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's, fu- it's so, so funny. When I was at Eloqua, um, I won an award um, for basically running, like, the weirdest campaign we had ever run that was deemed to not be super successful. Like, look, I think failure is such a big part of marketing. It should be, like, you should be failing fairly regularly because that's how you figure out what works. Um, I can't, I'm like, nothing comes to mind immediately that was, like, a massive <laughs> failure that I thought was funny um, or you know, that was a favorite failure, to be honest with you. Um, And like, I think the thing too is like, you know, actually, I got an email from a company the other day and it was an Mm. apology email for an email they didn't send me. So apparently they had sent an email 
to, it must have been like a pretty broad section of their database that was intended just for like very VIP customers. And it was like offering something. I, I don't, I don't know. Cause I didn't get the initial email. And then I get this like may a couple like, Oh, we're so sorry. You're not one of those special people. You shouldn't have got like, that's kind of how it made <laughs> that was intended for this really super great group and you're not in it we're sorry and I just laughed because I was like you didn't even need to send that because I didn't get your first email so like those things happen I mean being in demand general always always using email as a channel you're gonna screw up sometimes and like we used to have such a field day at Path Factory with the ways that people would respond sometimes. Like it cracks me up because you're like, well, there's an unsubscribe link right there. You could just hit that link and unsubscribe. That'd be fine. But no, there's always other people who want to reply and be like, no, this take me off your list or say some snappy, horrible thing. And you're just like, oh man, what's going on in your life that you're that upset about this? Right? All the time, all the time. I see so like people want to do that. They really, they, they and it's interesting because I, I sometimes get those emails as well. And then I go in and I check in the marketing automation, like have they unsubscribed and they didn't. They didn't unsubscribe. It's like you, you had that option. You could have just done yeah. So, I mean, I think those types of failures are, are par for the course. They're going to happen. Um, and you know, like, we're not, as I have been saying to my team lately, like we're not curing COVID here. Like it's like, you know, if, if you make a mistake once in a while, so be it. What do you, what advice would you give to your 30 year old self? Could be anything, mm-hmm. could be career, personal. I mean, I think that, um, I've said this before, like, I think that when I was a bit earlier in my career, I thought the way to, you know, get people to agree with me or to get my agenda moved forward was to just basically like be as loud as possible and as aggressive as possible. Um, I think like, you know, I probably could have been a bit more careful and thoughtful and even kind to some extent. Um, I think, you know, it's like at a certain point in your career where you're, you're trying to get to that next rung, especially for me, cause I'm a woman, um, you know, sometimes you come into conversations with guns blazing and you're like, I'm gonna make sure that this doesn't happen or whatever it is, you know? And like, yeah. now I realize it's not necessary. I also, I think I really appreciate, um, that there's always a long game being played. And like, sometimes my agenda is a really short term agenda. It's something that's painful for me or my team right now. It's something that's annoying, whatever it is. I think I have a much bigger, like broader perspective on just sort of what the business is trying to accomplish, how hard things are, um, (laughs) whether that's talent things or strategy things or, or whatever it is. Like I just, I have a, I think I, I have more context and experience for that now. So I think like, I guess what that boils up to is like, be more patient. I wish I had just been more patient in general because I didn't gain anything by trying to force my ideas and opinions down people's throats or, you know, so aggressively trying to like climb up the ladder. It all happens in time. And I think like, it's, you know, it's about the, the, um, it's about how people perceive you and like, you want to be perceived as being, yes, like, a high performer and someone who gets stuff done and all of that, but mm-hmm. also like someone who is nice to work with and, you know, right. wasn't to speak to. So yeah. I probably toned all that down just a little bit. And you worked with a ton of Canadians. So you got a lot, uh, you got, you got way, uh, <laughs> way well, calmer. Get 
and it's also like, I mean, you're my American aggressive tendencies are like on full display when you're dealing with Canadians. And I will say like that probably helped me a lot. I managed a, t- a whole team of Canadians uh, for four years. Um, and I was at Eloqua, which was a company who was made up largely of Canadians. Um, and that probably softened some of the edges. So um, I actually always say like, I would work for a Canadian business a million times over and a Canadian CEO and hire a Canadian team. Cause I think like it is possible to be calm and rational and kind and thoughtful and level-headed and still get lots of stuff done. Um, so I really like the the, uh, the, I don't know, the, the mentality. I, I, I say this to people sometimes like, oh, you wouldn't think it's culturally that different, but it, but it actually is quite different. Um, so I, I like to think of myself as an honorary Canadian. I think uh, Americans are <clears throat> way closer to Europeans. Like I'm from Europe and we are super direct. We are not, like, we are not finding words. <laughs> we're just yeah. like, here's yeah. in your face. Like, yeah. and, and then I got used to that and then I had to kind of dial it back in, in, in Canada because you're not supposed to say that. Like you're yeah. supposed to make it nicer. It's true. And every once in a while when you meet a Canadian who is like, is like really direct and like kind of aggressive, you're like, whoa. Like I would always joke, I used to fly on Porter Airlines into Toronto all the time and you're like dealing with the customs people and you're like, those are the least Canadian people I've ever met. Because um, it's just like, you're not used to that there. Everybody's so, you know, friendly and thoughtful and lovely and um, I, I, I think Canada is a great place to build a business and, and to build a team um, because people have those great attributes for sure. Oh, totally. Last question. Um, I'll, any, like, do you have any books that you keep coming back to? Maybe a couple uh, could be in business, could be in uh, psychology, personal development, anything that you read. I'll be really honest with you. I mean, when it comes to, so, you know, I right now managing a big giant team of people. I have two small kids who are home all the time. Um, you know, I'm also trying to teach someone school. When I have a moment to read, it is not going to be something that I'm trying to learn from. Like the cognitive load is just so heavy for me right now that, um, and, I, and, and, you know, I studied English literature in college. I love I love novels. I love fiction. Um, I actually read a ton. I probably read two, maybe three books a month, um, but they're all fiction for the most part. Um, So I'm not a big business book reader. I mean, I have read the ones that everyone tells you you should read because I felt like I should. Like I've read Good to Great and I've read, um, you know, Made to Stick. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I do like, I do like that. I I do like those books that are like how ideas take shape. Um, things like made to stick or, um, you know, like I, I like the idea. I just read, uh, I listened to it, the audio version. Um, oh gosh, what is it called? It's about how categories get built. Um, that was really, really interesting and really mm. good. Um, so, I mean, I like that stuff. It shapes my point of view. You know, I think what happens is at, like, you know, I have invariably worked for a bunch of executives and leaders who have read all those books. <laughs> and so it sort of rubs off on you, even if you didn't read them. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, 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 it's funny. Like, I know other marketers who study that stuff and have read all the, you know, Ogilvy books and all that stuff. And it's just not, I feel like I, my education has been like always kind of on the job. Um, Luckily, you know, having worked in marketing tech for a long time as a marketer, I've been to a million events, seen a million great speakers. I've seen Malcolm Gladwell several times. I've seen Seth Godin several times. Um, And so like, I feel like I've been, I've like through osmosis kind of absorbed a lot of that content, but like, it's not, 
it's not a thing. And it's funny. I bet like if I really like studied my subconscious, there are points of all of these things that are in the way that I lead and manage and think about things, but it's like, totally. it's not as obvious to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many, there's definitely way more than one approach to, to actually get to, to that knowledge than just, Oh, I got to read the book. How, um, let me ask you this. Like, how do you find um, from your perspective, learning versus executing? Like what's, what's the balance in a percentage if you were like roughly safe from your experience, like how much a person who is trying to learn, should be learning, studying, absorbing versus actually doing stuff? Well, I mean, I think everybody should be doing stuff all the time. So I sort of err on the side of productivity and progress. Um, I, look, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, I also am this person who I like to take a chance on people who I think are smart and capable um, and ready to, to, to take on a new challenge. And so I recognize that, that with that comes the need to learn things. Um, I think like some people are able to do that in a really agile way. Like, you know, I, and I think I'm a bit like that. I mean, I'll be honest with you, you know, joining Envision, I was kind of a fish out of water. I had never again dealt with a company of this size. I'd never managed a team this big. This is a product-led growth company that has really transitioned into an enterprise software company. I'd never dealt with, you know, freemium PLG right. stuff. Um, I'd never really, I, most of my experiences, um, driving, you know, marketing and pipe for new logo business. And this is a lot of upsell and renewal business. So I've had to learn a lot of things, but like, I don't know. It's, it's just sort of part of my daily, like I learn something new every day and I'm good at sort of just like filing it in there. And then adjusting how I behave based on that. It's not like this thing where I have to like sit down and learn and study and, and all of that stuff. I also like, I mean, it's terrible, but again, like just based on, you know, my schedule and the time that I have, I will take every shortcut I can to find something out. I mean, you know, instead of sitting through hours and hours of product training, I was like, book some time with our head of product marketing. And I was like, give me the, give me all the info I need. And I'm pretty good at like, getting that and like translating it quickly and being able to do something with it. Um, and that is, that's cutting a corner. I totally get that. But I think that there, there's a time and a place for that. You know, again, like I'm not like trying to like pass the bar exam or something. I don't need like, I, I think sometimes we get, people get a little bit of paralysis because they're trying to really study something or really research something, or really analyze something or really learn something. And not to say that that's not super important if you're doing heart surgery or whatever. Um, but for me as a B2B marketer, I know that I can, I know what I need to know to still do a really good job and be informed in, in what I'm trying to get done. It's the mindset of resourcefulness and understanding of what's good enough to ship fast and then we'll do something else again. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's laziness, but no, if you're right, it's exactly that. I mean, I say all the time, like my mantra is done is better than perfect. And I think that there's plenty of room for iteration and improvement and optimization. But if you spend all of your time trying to build the perfect thing, you're probably never going to ship it. And so I would err on the side every time of shipping and making progress and moving the ball forward. Even if that means we have to go back and tweak it and make it better, you know, later I'm, I'm all for that. Totally. That totally makes sense. Al, that was a pleasure. Thank you. This is all the questions I had. This was super insightful. Thanks guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have any feedback or questions, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. You'll see a link in the show notes. And I'm always open to connecting with content creators, marketers, entrepreneurs. Uh, and I will see you in the next one. Cheers.